I haven't done it in a while, but I think like de detoxing, right? Or is like disconnecting is like really important. I, I think a lot of people should do that. And it pain, it almost pains me. I feel like as this technology advocate, it almost like feels hard for me to be like, yeah, you should delete that app because it sounds like me giving a ruling on like saying like, this is bad, but it's kind of like facing the music. The reality is, you know, in certain contexts and for certain people, like it isn't good and they should move forward and delete it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's very nuanced, right? Which there's always like the headline message and then it's like, well, let me explain all the asterisks here, right? Welcome to WWJT. My name is Andrew. I'm joined with, who are you? What's your name? Hey, I'm Joel Jacob. Yeah. And what do you do, Joel? I'm a product manager at Splunk. Yeah. So you do that. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. Um, I do stuff at uh, Grandview Church in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. And it's a pleasure to speak with you today. We're going to talk about Twitter and we're going to talk about some of the recent news. What is going on with Twitter? Is it getting taken over by the most important tech personality in the world, Elon Musk? <laughs> that's the that's the story. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen soon. Right, Joel? Yeah. I mean, that's the way... Um... The stock market is basically projecting it. Um, basically, it, it had been up until yesterday trading almost at the trans transaction price of $52 per share. And the reason I reference the stock market is because there's thousands of analysts who are reading every little piece of information that they can get to get an edge. So it's actually a pretty trustworthy source. That's it's kind of like crowdsource knowledge, if you know how to read it. Um, well, but it did drop. I only know how to crowdsource knowledge through Twitter. So Twitter seems to be pretty upset of the idea like, <laughs> of Elon Musk taking over. Well, it depends who you follow. Twitter leans left um, just because the users on it are not representative of the average group. Um, but yeah, Elon Musk, he leans right. So then that might mean, I, I mean, I say he leans right. He's hard to nail down. But he, he was like the guy who was on Trump's advisory committee longer than anybody else. Um, on that advisory committee when Trump was getting ready to get elected way back in 2016. And Elon Musk faced a lot of flack for that. But he's like, why wouldn't I try to influence Trump? Um, he eventually got off because of Trump's behavior. But anyway, so so Elon Musk, he's he has this potential for control. What are, What's the other things that we should know? What should we be aware of? About Elon Musk? And the potential of Twitter changing. Well... Yeah, so I guess the big the big news is that um, Elon Musk said, if the deal goes through, look to seventy five percent of employees at Twitter getting laid off. Well, at least that's what's been reported. We don't know that for sure. He's going to fire them, but yeah. And part of part of that has to do with this is kind of typical for a lot of um, takeover deals, and you know where Twitter should be trading at is maybe something in the $30 range. So they're definitely paying a premium for it. But actually, usually when you take over a company like that, you do want to pay 20 or 30% more um, and then do some quick changes to show it's more profitable. So by getting rid of all these employees and still having the same revenue come in, you've now increased um, revenue, right? You increase margins. Um, the problem is you can't cut your way to growth. Right. So there's probably people who are working on new features and 
and that's going to slow down, but it'll probably also change direction. So like the kick, the other critical point is like, you know, what is the direction that Elon Musk is going to change it towards? Yeah. And TechCrunch, they've been critical consistently of Elon Musk. And they think he's quite naive when it comes to the complexities of content moderation. You know, Elon Musk is like, well, as long as there's 10% on either side that's getting removed from the platform, that's what we want. You know, we want to keep what's in the middle and there's extremes, let's get rid of the extreme, but it's it's never that easy, um, is is what various authors who write for TechCrunch would say. Um, and and I and I hear the point, like it's Elon Musk kind of oversimplifies, you could say, and and he but he's he's figured it out on a number of different accounts. Like everybody's like, no, you can't do cars, you can't get a rocket to the to the moon, you can't do all these things unless there's this, that, and the other thing. But he proves people wrong. He's been able to to persevere his way through it, working tons of hours, having employees who work tons of hours, smart employees who do a good job. Shout out to my brother-in-law, who's uh, (laughs) maybe is working on a robot, maybe not. I don't know. He won't disclose too much information to me, but he he does some interesting stuff. I'll I'll leave it there. Um, But yeah, like I think it's exciting um, to see. So I think, you know, the changes that are happening at Twitter is actually indicative of, in my opinion, a good change in direction. I think if I compare like Facebook and all of these other, you know, social media platforms that were launched around the same time, you know, in the mid 2000s, Twitter has probably changed the least. It doesn't seem that they've innovated a lot. And I think that was Musk's, um, you know, critical point of Twitter is like, it's falling short of, of what it could be. And, you know, again, if you look at the stock market, like all of these other companies had grown so much more where Twitter has largely stayed in the same range. Um, So there's this whole thought about like having untapped potential. Um, And then um, there was a tweet where, you know, Elon Musk mentioned that acquiring Twitter, like if it goes through, will accelerate creating the app called X which is like the everything app. Um, And again, like in the summer, he was talking to Twitter and saying like, what I really think we should do is make Twitter into like something similar to WeChat in China, which does messaging, does payments, does ride hailing. And it does like a lot of um, a combination of things uh, versus Twitter just focusing on one thing. So I think it's, yeah, it's exciting. It's like, you know, a new area, but the question is like, you know, what does that change? What's good about Twitter today? Um, and what do we have to worry about? Yeah, because even Twitter introduced, basically Twitter created TikTok before TikTok came to be. Like Twitter created Vine um, two, three years or four years ago now. And it was mm-hmm. like, let's sh- share short videos. Like let's use the constraint of limited time. And it it, it was a good product that came too early and now TikTok has taken over. Probably AI, more developments in AI that helped. But I I do think there's a place for Twitter because the medium, the medium shapes the message so much. And because Twitter remains primarily text-based, it lends itself towards more critical discourse um, and uh, analysis and those sorts of things. Now there's a lot of negatives too, but I I think we we need to have a place for 
text-based content. Um, you used to have blogs in the 2000s and people would visit blog pages. But then when social media took over, you had people going to blogs through social media. And then there was pressure on authors to post on social media. Um, and there used to be RSS feeds. Google had an RSS feed and, and we got rid of those. So Twitter for me, very much functions as an RSS feed. It's a great place to find good content. You follow people you trust. I, I don't use Twitter for understanding the world because Twitter is not representative of the real world. It's a very unique group of individuals. Mm-hmm. It's like going to a hipster bar. You're, you don't go there, ask a bunch of people what they think about an issue and think you're getting the average citizen's view. You're just missing out on a huge subset of the population and that's what Twitter is. Um, so it it can function as a public discourse with it being text-based, I think that helps, but it also can function as a complete time waster because it lacks uh, not only a time waster, but also it lacks context. So this is one of the, my biggest concerns with uh, Twitter is its contest, its lack of context in its communication inherently leads to problems. So Alistair Roberts makes this point, um, and I'll just play a little bit of it here. My fundamental position is that the character of social media itself tends to shape those who are most invested in it in very unhelpful ways and also to malform our discourses. Whereas speech in the flesh is typically clearly directed and contextualized, we know who we are addressing and the context in which we are addressing them. This is much less often the case on social media. Rather, on many social media, our speech indiscriminately reaches innumerable different contexts and persons. This militates against the possibility of wise words in season. If a wise word in season is recognizing the context and speaking well into that context, the collapsing of context makes this difficult. On social media, we can feel that we must address the world in general, or no one at all. As discrete contexts collapse into a flat and discursive environment, the demands of various contexts increasingly collide with those of others. So one of my concerns is in a newspaper, you're writing to the audience of that newspaper. In a public debate, you're debating an opponent. In a podcast, you're talking to the other person with awareness that other people are listening. There is context normally for communication. The letters we have in scripture are written to the people of Corinth, inclusive of the elders. It's written to Philemon and the people who are part of his house church, or just to Timothy, and then with knowledge that it's going to be broadly shared, or just from Luke's perspective, just to Theophilus. And then Theophilus decides, hey, this is really good stuff, Luke. Uh, I'm going to share it with others. So normally there's context with communication, and because Twitter lacks that, it's it's kind of like an ongoing question of what is this in reference to? And then because that's normally seen as a subtweet or a challenge or something critical, like you could post something like leaders should be respected and honored. But if that came, if you post that tweet on the same day that some leader in a church is called out on a scandal, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, are you referencing the fact that we should respect such and such leader who just is in this scandalous allegation? Like, how dare you? Like, It's like you can say true and good things, but without context, it might actually be a wrong thing to say. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I actually think 
it would be wrong in some context to say all lives matter. Like that's a true statement, but contextually that is a statement that's unhelpful and dismissive of some of the concerns of black lives. Um, So we need to, we need to speak to a context, to a situation. So that's a limitation of the, the discourse on Twitter or other social media. Um, And yet, and yet Twitter can provide for legitimate debate as we sometimes subtweet others and call out communication. Even myself, I've been corrected on Twitter in helpful ways. Yeah. So I see pros and cons to it as a public, you know, square, if you will, um, a place for ideas to be shared. I think it can work as that, um, but only as a starting point for that, not not a final point, a way to yeah. direct others to better areas of discourse. Yeah, like when I look back on my Twitter usage, I definitely fell prey to that sort of um, style of subtweeting, right? I think my context when I was younger was like, oh, this is towards my my immediate friend group. And I didn't really actually use Twitter that much compared to other social media apps at the time. Now, somehow in the past couple of years, I ended up using Twitter more than many other social media platforms. And it is because I'm using it to reach out to maybe um, people that I don't know. They're not in my direct circle of influence. Um, and I'm not subtweeting, right? I'm I'm speaking with intention that like anyone could look at this tweet. And I think that's one of the challenges of like any of these platforms and even like the internet as, as like being able to host websites, there isn't really too many constraints on like, what is the etiquette? What is the context? It's kind of like open for people to use in whatever way they want, mm-hmm. right? And these platforms have to, teeter-totter between, um, you know, moderating uh, whatever equipment it is or saying like, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, not publishing this. I'm just like aggregating what's out there. So I'm not liable, right? Because once you start moderating, then it's like, well, what are you moderating and by which standards? So these are just, I think, like typical challenges and inherent drawbacks with the technology today. Um, and to your point, like that isn't to say that it can't be used for good. It can be used for having those public discourses at you know public square. Um, yeah, and I think Elon Musk will probably. I don't know. I'm. <laughs> I think he's like he said a smart guy. I think he'll think through some of these things of like, well, how can we make it better? How can we make it like this portion of Twitter is used for like publishing. And maybe this portion of Twitter is used for more like direct um, or subgroup messaging or something like that. Yeah, it, it definitely has potential. Um, I I think as there, yeah, there's two sides to this. We can talk about the demand side, our our consumption of Twitter and how it forms us. And we can talk about the creators of Twitter, the thousands of employees who work there, including Christians, who are trying to shape Twitter for good. And I think on that, on the creator side, determining how to mold Twitter in certain ways, I think Twitter is trying to increase eyeballs to increase, you know, time on the device in order to increase advertising revenue. That's obvious, but that can dangerously lend itself towards clickbait, 
stuff and and those sorts of things instead of being an RSS feed for the good. And so I personally do not use the like Twitter has two options of use. They have the the latest, like you're seeing only the tweets of the people you follow in order. And then there's the algorithm based way. And it and it blows my mind that some people aren't aware of this distinction because I'll see Christian leaders who have thousands of followers be like, oh, my feed has started to be filled with this type of stuff, you know, and I'm seeing tweets from people I don't even follow and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, because you're using Twitter the wrong way. Ooh, you're wrong. allowing, you, I totally like to use Twitter and to just allow for the algorithm to make all the decisions for you. Like you are allowing the app, which is totally interested in your eyeballs and your like thumb swipes. That's what it's interested in. It's not interested in your character growth. So you need to cur- right. curate it and use it. I, well, yeah, maybe it's a strong opinion. Yeah, like, no, that's no, my I mean, personal opinion. That's good, um, right? Like I, and I think I'm not to cut you off there, but like for me, I do use the algorithmic way, but it's more because I'm like, I'm interested in seeing what new things Twitter is like surfacing to me rather than things I know and, and curate and say like, and, and maybe that's not necessarily how I should be using Twitter, um, but it's kind of like how I had been using it um, because I feel like it's overwhelming, like you said, to curate, right? And a lot of people don't do that curation which is it's hard work, right? And I mean, it depends on the app, right? Like if you're using Facebook and you have more than 50 people that you're friends with that you consistently, who consistently post, then Facebook's algorithm isn't going to allow you to see all of their stuff, right? Um, Twitter always had that forcing you to curate um, approach, but yeah, the algorithm does things. Sure, there's a use for the algorithm. You know, every once in a while, I turn on the algorithm just to see what it gives me. it, it does tend toward those highly emotive tweets yeah, yeah. that make you more reactive. It's like, oh, so-and-so is debating with so-and-so and, and that sort of thing. I, I just think we need to practice as Christians um, the fruits of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, just patience. Like, do you think... Your social media use increases your patience or decreases your patience when you get bored after 10 seconds and you need to swipe whatever after, you know, let me, sorry, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Um, And so this like is unpacked in a book called Analog Christian um, by Jay Kim if you think about what does social media encourage, what does Twitter encourage? Well, maybe anger as opposed to peace. You know, how are you practicing self-control? How are you practicing joy when you're using social media? Um, you know, like what what can you do to increase the fruit of the spirit when you are using these these apps? So for me, the way that looks is not allowing the algorithm to decide what I see to intentionally create lists so that I focus on the things that I want to focus on and I want to direct my boredom. So there's with any, with any app, you're going to get bored after a certain point. And what do you do at that point within the app? So what I used to be doing on Twitter is I used to, when I, when I got bored, no new tweets or nothing interesting, then, Oh, I'll go to the trending. 
you know, I've never been tempted to do that on Instagram because as soon as I went to the trending on Instagram, it was like, <laughs> this is a total waste of my time. The algorithm yeah. hadn't learned me enough. Yeah. Um, TikTok's mostly similar, though TikTok has given me some interesting stuff lately. Um, that, that algorithm. Anyways, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> like Twitter, Twitter, I just found that trending was leading me down paths that would not increase my love of God and love of others. Right. It would not increase my the fruit of the spirit that Christ is building in me. So then I I I decided to use lists to create those. If someone seems interesting to me, I will add them to a list of interesting leaders um, or interesting thinkers. And then that's like a secondary feed for me. So I can go through my first feed of the best of the best, the people who I actually follow. And when I don't get interested, then I can go into the secondary feed and be like, okay, this isn't that interesting. And then I'll get off the app rather than going into trending. So it's just like other outlets for me um, when I'm using the app so that I don't um, get too addicted. Cause I, I, that, that is a problem for me. I've multiple times deleted the app um, because of its addictive nature. Yeah. It's crazy. I feel like there's probably value at some point to do a, you know, how Andrew uses Twitter, like, youtube or something where he show people how you curate your feed because for me and, and reflecting what you're saying it is often like going on when i'm you know boredom i'm looking for something different and, and it it pinches on a nerve that i think a lot of us had even growing up as kids it's like looking at news right we're looking at shock and awe we're trying to see like oh my gosh this is happening there's something in us that's like driving us to to look at that and observe and be like wow so for me yeah like when i go on twitter it's to see what what's happened in the world. And I used to use, you know, RSS readers like the Google reader back in the day. And then I think it got to a point where I was just overwhelmed with like keeping up with all the content. I just couldn't. And then that's where I was like, okay, yeah, this will just show me the most important things. And usually on Twitter, I'll just like, you know, look at whatever I see and I know I'm going to be missing things that like some person is tweeting so I may not actually see everything, but I'm hoping somehow I'm seeing like, I'm leaving it up to chance to be like, hopefully I see like the most important thing. And if I don't, then I don't sort of thing. Right. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the most important thing, Joel. Like what should, what news like, okay. Yeah. The most important thing is Jesus. You, you knew I was going to make that point. Um, we should be reading more scripture than news feeds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's get those points out of the way. We, we know those are true as Christians. We, should probably reflect on it more, but even just news, like to what degree should, like there is a famous preacher, Spurgeon, he's like, to prepare preaching, I use two books in my prep. I use the the scriptures and the newspaper because I want to speak the old truths to contemporary times, right? So there's a place for understanding the news. C.S. Lewis said this, even in peacetime, I think those are very wrong who say the schoolboys should be encouraged to read the newspapers. C.S. Lewis is saying, don't tell kids to read mm. newspapers. Nearly all that a boy reads there in his teens will be seen before he is 20 to have been false in emphasis and interpretation, if not in fact as well, and most of it will have lost all importance. Most of what he remembers, he most of what he remembers, he will therefore have to unlearn, and he will probably have acquired an uncurable taste for vulgarity and sensationalism and the fatal habit of fluttering from 
from paragraph to paragraph to learn how an actress has been divorced in California, a train derailed in France, and quadruplets born in New Zealand. See, so this is like, we get trained by newspapers, the old Twitter, right, to just get used to seeing pointless stuff over and over. And this is another point that's made by the great um, tech ethicist, Neil Postman, who uh, we've been encouraged to read. How far have you got in his book? Have <laughs> you not, been reading it? I have not cracked those open yet. <clears throat> You've not cracked it open, eh? Um, so <clears throat> he, he critiqued telegraphy. Telegraphy is the first Twitter, all right? Okay. Because that's the first time that information was dis- disseminated in a disembodied format. So normally before telegraphy, the communication of Morse code, you actually had to physically transport an artifact to deliver information. Papyrus had to be brought, whether a horse was bringing it or a person or a train, the artifact had to move. So all of a sudden when it moved into this non-physical ability, it, it left open the idea of, well, what could we use this for? And one of the people during that time was Henry, Henry Thoreau, and he was assessing this telegraphy. <clears throat> and he said, we are in great haste to construct a magnetic telegraph from Maine to Texas. But Maine and Texas, it may be, have nothing important to communicate. We are eager to tunnel under the Atlantic and bring the old world some weeks nearer to the new. But perchance, the first news that will leak through into the broad, flapping American ear will be the will be that Princess Adelaide has the whooping cough. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people spend time on these things. I, it's it's an incredible amount of waste of time if you like add up the cumulative hours that like people are just like sinking into keeping up on like stuff like that. So Chris Martin, he in his book. Um, on social media and how Christians should use it. He, he was like, it's two and a half hours per day. Um, but that was 10 years ago. So it's probably even more now. And I think we get, we just get false understandings of what good the app is for. So I think Twitter can be used for good to link to other people, link to good articles. It can be used like an RSS feed. You can meet people over Twitter and that, that might be interesting too. And it can be good for like humorous things. It it can, it can get you to news that it, that is interesting, but Twitter does not give you a representative sample of what the other side is. It doesn't act very well as a, as a public discourse in that way, because what you see most often on Twitter is the extreme of your opponent's not the reality of your opponent's nuanced views. It's it's the quote tweet about the worst part of the other side, whether it's the far right or the far left or whatever. Um, and this has been shown in the book, Breaking the Social Media Prism, um, that people think that when they are exposed to alternative views, they're going to be more likely to have a reasonableness, right? It makes sense like, oh, we need to break out of these silos and you know what? Social media should introduce us to alternative points of view and not silo us. Well, that's what social media does. Social media doesn't silo us as much as we think it does. It does give us views from opponents, but it gives us the worst form of our opponent's views. So we think we're hearing the opponent's perspective, but we're not. We're hearing the hot take that is from an extremist in that camp that doesn't actually give us the real view of 
the majority in that camp. And that's where that's where for me, Twitter is not a place for me to understand what liberals think about scripture. Right. Uh, and I mean that in like the like liberal interpreters uh, of scripture, they're more on the the left side, but it's not even the left. The non non inerrants, like people who are open to scripture being wrong um, and not true, like they're just critiquing it from a pure historical document perspective. I don't go to Twitter to hear those arguments. I buy a book and I read them in a long book called literary <laughs> literary criticism of scripture. I would yeah. I would much rather hear their actual argument rather than. Um, see it on Twitter and think I know what the other side is arguing. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, when I think about back to my usage of Twitter and looking at news and how that relates to like looking at the hot takes, I don't know if the algorithm is like maybe prioritizing more of this content, but it's usually tweets that have like links in them to Mm -hmm. something with more context, something with more, you know, information. And for me, it's often like, yeah, keeping up with, what's happening in the economy, what's happening in those sorts of the world. So it, it allows me to be more effective in my conversations and my projections that are like, Hey, yeah, like we're headed into a recession. Like, what should I do? Or like, Hey, this is going to happen in the tech world, which means that like these technologies are affected, right? Those are things that I'm looking into. And typically like, it's not a hot take that will give me enough information. I'm going to need to like, look deeper and understand like what does this chart say right what is the data like so for me that's good like i'm completing that loop of not like just looking at like hot tweet hot takes from people because i think yeah like it just like um accelerates this emotion reaction right which is what it's meant to do mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think I think a lot of people should consider deleting apps on their phone for the good of their health and the good of the fruit of the spirit being displayed in them. Um, there was a, a paper done, like researchers uh, researched the question of if people deleted Facebook and deactivated their account and we ensured that they were deactivated, what would happen? They they did this. They used 2,844 Facebook users, and they found that when they deactivated it, it, one, decreased their online activity, including other social media, while increasing off- offline activities, such as watching TV alone and socializing with family and friends. Second, it reduced both factual news knowledge, which, like, oh, you'll know right. less of the news, right? But it also reduced political polarization. Interesting. When you're on social media less, you are less likely to be polarized. Huh. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought? I mean, this has been argued in so many places, but we can back, back this up with real studies. Third, it increased subjective well-being. People felt better about themselves. They're happier. Joy, fruit of the spirit, abounded after people got off yeah. the apps. And, and fourth, it caused a large, persistent reduction in Facebook use after the experiment. So once people experience deleting the app on the, off their phone and deactivating it completely, not even doing it on their computer, they they just started to realize maybe I don't need this as much in my life. Mm-hmm. And so that's an experiment that people might want to try. You know, yeah, it's really important. I think I haven't done it in a while, but I think like de detoxing, right, or is like disconnecting is like really important. And then doing it selectively, where it's like 
It's not just like going on a retreat and then coming back to your regular life. It's like, okay, I'm making this change and it could be an incremental and permanent change that affects the trajectory of where I'm going. So I, th- I think a lot of people should do that. And it pain- it almost pains me. I feel like as this technology advocate, it almost like feels hard for me to be like, yeah, you should delete that app because it sounds like me giving a ruling on like saying like, this is bad, but it's kind of like facing the music. The reality is, you know, in certain contexts and for certain people, like it isn't good and they should move forward and delete it. Yeah. uh, This is obviously a matter of conscience, right? So we're not binding anybody's consciences. This is why we wanted to talk to Wyatt Graham, who's good on this stuff about Romans 14. Um, And you can listen to that episode that we talk about, you know, we're going to disagree about how to use technology, um, but we should, we should really reflect on this deeply. And the question I'd, I'd want anybody to ask is this, why are you using social media? What are your goals? And, and too many of us have no good answer, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, why are you on, like, why are you using, what are your goals of Twitter? Well, to, you know, like, what is it? I talked to one person, they're like, yeah, I'm just bored. So it's a place for me to go, like, when I'm bored. And it's like, well, is, is, do you, is that what you want to do with your boredom? Um, I think God gives us boredom to, to help us go back to nature, to go back to him. I think boredom should should lead you towards him, not temporary pleasures of distraction. So I I just I just think you'll you'll be more joy filled if it's not just a way to fill time yeah. in terms of social media use and and have some intention behind it and a goal. And that's why, Joel you shouldn't use the algorithm on Twitter because it's just going <laughs> to, it might not be doing something that you want, but I could see you using the algorithm for good for sure. And that's how I feel about my LinkedIn usage is I'm like, yeah, LinkedIn kind of gives me a bunch of random things throughout the world that like every once in a while, it's cool to look at and see what people are arguing about on LinkedIn. I know that right. it's, its algorithm is training it towards me, but I know I'm getting some sense of what business people and HR people are talking about that I used to, you know, sell my product to when I worked in that world. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm not, I'm not binding your conscience. I'm not telling you, you can't yeah, use yeah, the yeah, algorithm. Absolutely. I just think that it, it's potentially unwise because it lacks intentionality and you are not necessarily practicing self-control when you're reliant on the algorithm. Yeah, totally. So the question is, you know, what would Jesus tech? Would Jesus use Twitter specifically? Oh, Joel, Joel. I mean, <laughs> I got to ask you that question this time. So I'm not put on the spot. I I just, I mean, we've talked about before how Jesus obviously used technology of his day. He he went on the boat for acoustic reasons to spread his his message further so that more people could hear his message. So he was in favor of using technology in order for more people to hear his message. So I think you can use social media for good. I think he would be pretty disciplined in his use of it. I could imagine him so prioritizing the people he was around that many people would wonder, hey, why isn't he posting anything? You know, like he'd be, he'd be from other people's perspective, he'd be like too distracted. Like, come on, you got to engage online. You got to consistently post. And I could see Jesus being like, yeah, but you know, these people want all of me, but I need to go to this town now and I need to Mm -hmm. heal some people in person. So 
I I think it's possible. I think it's possible that he he would have used it, but I could more see him allowing that to be something to, the disciples would use yeah, because yeah. Jesus's mission was so focused. So it's I mean it's really like Jesus didn't write any books of the New Testament, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, other people wrote on his behalf and tweeted what he was saying, right? In yeah, in so those books. Yeah. There's the argument that's been made that Matthew, as a tax collector in his profession, um, would have been familiar with note taking and and that type of task. And maybe Matthew was taking notes, recording notes um, of Jesus's speeches and things like that. And so Jesus has specifically wanted him. Like everybody's just kind of guessing on this, right? But it, but I can see there being certain individuals are gifted in the church to use Twitter, and there might be individuals who are called to use Twitter who who actually. When they listen to this podcast, they really want an out to not use Twitter. And they're like, oh, yeah, it could be really bad for me. But they should use Twitter because there's such extreme people on it. And Christianity is not being well represented on, on Twitter. And so we need good Christians using Twitter so that we're evangelizing and that, so that we're bringing a positive voice. And so that the people, the angry Christians who are barely even Christian because of the tone that they use and the way that they denounce good Christians. Um, I I really do have concerns about the discourse on Twitter because it does seep into the real world. So we do need good documents, papyruses to be written to form yeah. people. And we need good people, good Twitter users. We We should become Twitter users so that we might save some Twitter users. All right. You heard it here first. Be a Twitter user. Be a Twitter user to save Twitter users. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> tough though, Joel. It's tough. I think mean, we have not figured everything out. We just haven't. So my my last little closing thing is that if you're listening to this podcast, we thank you for joining us on our journey. We do appreciate some of the comments we receive and the support. Um, we're not experts. We're not professors of technology. I posted the thing that we've been saying on this podcast on Twitter the other day. And I said, technology is neither good, nor is it bad, nor is it neutral. And and John Dyer, the like author of From the Garden to the City, and he's written other tech books, and he's a professor, he corrected me. He responds to me, and he's like, you know what? I would say that technology is good. Like It, it really is good because, you know, and he, and he listed his reasons um, because of like God mandated the the creation mandate, you know, we have this task of filling the earth and we we should make technology. We really should. So it's, it is a good thing, even though it's tainted by sin, we should still call it good. And uh, I'm still chewing on that. I, I agree with him. And I'm like, can we, can we just say it's good with an asterisk of tainted by sin? And, and maybe that's better. Maybe it's better to say it that way. And that's kind of the way I want to say it going forward um, is Twitter is good. Facebook is good technology is good it's tainted by sin right yeah yeah it's all it's very nuanced right which there's always like the headline message and then it's like well let me explain all the asterisks here right exactly and that's what he does in his like i've read his book so i i know that he sees both the good and the limitations of tech but i i never heard him like say you know he's kind of upset it seems that that it's hard to read emotions through twitter which is another limitation (laughs) um but i was like oh man like you're right you're right i hear you so 
Anyways, thanks for listening to WWJT. Uh, Thanks for learning with us. If you have ideas on how to use Twitter well, very interested in your thoughts. Um, If you think we shouldn't use Twitter, maybe you're interested in that as well. So um, that'll be interesting too. So thanks for listening. My name's Andrew. I'm Joel. And uh, we are encouraging you to use tech. We really are. We want you to use tech, but make sure you find rest and ultimately glorify God. Thanks. Bye.